welcome once more to Knives Out Minute. I am your host, Darren, and with me today I have my guest once more returning from yesterday, Philip Mataz. Hello, Darren. How are you? I feel like I'm always going to say that wrong. Phil. Everyone does. You, I you never need call to stop. Don't, don't apologize. I'm, it I'm is... tripping over myself right at the start. You're here. doing great. Uh, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks Darren. <laughs> Uh, and we are covering minute number 122, which goes from two hours and one minute to two hours, one minute 59. Uh, we start this minute with Ransom realizing that he has uh, made an error in trying to stab Marta. <laughs> uh, calls back to an earlier minute that I covered. Um, and then we, you know, we have Ransom being taken away um, and then we fade to black and we have a, a kind of a small little kind of callback to something that's been going on throughout the film, uh, which is as Linda, she she returns the baseball back to its little kind of baseball stand um, in the in the kind of the downstairs office. And um, she sees a piece of paper and she picks it up and she kind of recognizes something in it. And that's where our minute finishes um it i mean interestingly until we start the next minute you don't realize that that's actually where that scene finishes as well so again we've got a nice minute that kind of uh, rounds itself off yeah um and so yeah i mean obviously we now we have the reveal uh, of the cliffhanger from yesterday which is it was a prop knife <laughs> um and obviously harlan had earlier in the film in some minutes that i covered you know, just at the just before the you know the the kind of the fatal dose, which turned out to not be fatal, was given. Um, he he obviously said that some of his family, you know, uh, are so kind of um, wrapped up in their wealth and stuff that they they wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a real knife and a prop knife. Yep. Um, and Ransom has borne that out by literally picking up a prop knife. I um, I want to say, Darren, we yes. should we should be referring to the this minute and maybe the next one. This is we are now in payoff city. Like that's, yeah. that's where we are, and and that's po- part of the fun. Us. Population us and the audience. Yeah, welcome aboard. It, it's yeah, it's one of those things that like, it's fun and it sounds simple, but the movie does a really great job of putting in those clues. Like you say, Harlan literally saying it earlier, but in presenting it in such a way that a you don't know that that's a setup, you don't know that that's a clue. But when it pays off, you can say, oh, hell, we were, <laughs> of course, you know, and, and so that's, it's, it's really nice. Very satisfying. Yeah. And, you know, the, the kind of the payoff of it is, as, as we said in the previous minute, you know, Chris Evans is so good at comedy and the way he kind of pays this off where he's obviously on top of Marta, he stabbed her in the chest or, you know, that's what he thinks. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get this moment where they're both still like they're both there and then they realize something and Ransom kind of realizes first and then Marta kind of realizes at the same time. And then he kind of take he kind of like pulls the handle up just into shot a little bit so you can see that it's. It's a fake knife. And we and get that, that great, come. that great, perfect, like, undercut of the tension of the sound of, like, you know, like, the, the most flimsy <laughs> yeah. sounding sound effect ever. And, yeah. Yeah. And it actually says in the script, he pumps, he, he pumps it up and down a few times, the spring making a pathetic toy noise. <laughs> that's, that's exactly that is, right. Yeah, that's exactly what's on screen. And then, of course... This is where he realizes what's happened, and he just simply says, and it's the only word of dialogue we've got in this minute. He just says shit. It is. And it's then, our of course, word of the week. This is, you know, for <laughs> yeah. our kids' show, this is our word of the week. 
Second time he said it in as many minutes. Yep. And in the script it says, um, Ransom smirks, and then obviously it has the dialogue, and he goes, and is violently tackled out of frame by Trooper <laughs> Wagner. So, and I have to say, I couldn't work out if it was Elliot or Wagner that, that kind of jumped on him to take him out of frame. I, I, so I couldn't nice either. That the script directs that, yeah. I couldn't, um, I couldn't either, and it almost doesn't matter, because you'd think, you'd think everybody would, you know, lend <laughs> yeah. a hand. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was Blank himself, because that feels like, yeah, right. you know, obviously we know him also as, as James Bond, so, yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah. wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise, you know, he feels like he'd be a man of action, but then he has spent a lot of the film kind of sedately walking about and, like, not, True. you know, not really kind of getting involved in stuff, so. Yeah, we would have uh, had a weird, is... we had a weird crossover of James Bond tackles Captain America for a minute there. Yeah, that would have been, see, that would have been good, but yeah. they didn't do that. It's Trooper Wagner that gets the tackle. Uh, and in the script, of course, it says leaving Marta lying on her back. That doesn't really kind of do it justice because it is such a beautiful shot of her just kind of, you know, Anna de Armas just kind of lying on the ground and the camera kind of just pulls up mm-hmm. and we see like next to her all the knives and she's just holding the kind of the, t- you know, the, the, and, the prop. And on not her, only that, on chest. and not only that, but again, being really astute that I wasn't paying that much attention during, you know, the full viewings, but shout out to this rug. <laughs> It's like yeah. super ornate. The only thing that's more ornate is a chair of knives. And but the but it's really interesting and it almost looks like it re, it reminds me of dollar bills, like the backs of dollars. Large amounts, but they they the pattern is really weird. It's not that, it's not fives, it's not something else, but yeah, it it's and I want to read too much into it and say that she's lying on a pile of money, which is basically what she has just inherited anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that rug has got to be... I mean, for a room that size, to get a rug, <laughs> you know, to fit, I mean, you, someone's got to have paid a lot of money for, uh, yeah. for yes. that rug. So, yes, you know, she is effectively lying on a pile of money because I'm sure if she sold that rug, she'd get a couple of grand for yeah. it. You know, she'd, you I, I want to go back uh, just a sec, if I can. Go for it. So yeah. something, it, it's... I think it's very telling, and I'm not busting you on this, but it's very telling because we all see it in our sort of mind's eye of Ransom on top of Marta. But it's really interesting that the shot is like, is they've tilted it so that it's them up and, you know, upright. And I'm not sure of the exact significance of that, except... You could, again, reading too much into it, because if we're not going to read too much into it on a minute-by-minute podcast, where can we do it? <laughs> um, but if you put them, if you put it the natural way, where Ransom and her are horizontal, then he's literally on top of her, meaning he is in charge. But if you tilt yeah. it, then they're on even footing, in a way. Even though we know, like, you know, he's bigger and and he is on top of her. It's just an interesting way and I don't know if too much is being said there but it's it's an interesting choice that I can't say that I necessarily would have made if I were directing it or even thought of to just be like oh we're going to put it like this and it just it'll play differently than if he is literally on top of her and I I wonder yeah. if that's even just to like sort of bring it to an hap- a happy ending in a way uh it, no just really great choice that again I don't think I thought about in just experiencing the movie, but I certainly absorbed. And now looking at it, I'm like, oh, brilliant. Great idea. 
Yeah, the camera kind of follows them, uh, like as as he stabs it, it kind of follows it follows them down. Yes, but it stays at ninety degrees once he stabbed her. Like, right. It doesn't it doesn't keep turning. It's like it's like the camera just stops. And it, um, I, and not to put you on the spot, but I don't know if there's anything in the script about that. But it's just a really no. it's just a really interesting thing because I it's a funny psychological thing because when I was writing up my notes, I was writing like ransoms on top of her, but given. <laughs> The, the movie presents it as Ransom is tackling her with a knife. It tilts with them so it looks like he's on top of her. And then when the knife goes in, they're upright. And so it's a weird thing. It'd be like your brain almost puts it together of like, oh, well, he's going to be on top of her. But then the actual image is not that. I don't know. It just I, I'm spinning myself out thinking about it. But I, 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 re- <laughs> I, but I really think that's an interesting choice. It's, it's yeah. very I mean, subtle, but just... very good. It's scripted as as they hit the ground, his arm comes down, plunging the knife uh, to the hilt in her chest. Like that's how it's described. And that's what there's it no is. Indication, yeah. There's that... no indication of, of what the camera move is. Obviously, that's something I'm, I'm guessing that Ryan Johnson probably maybe did it a few different ways, and this is the way that they kind probably of, when they were doing the edit, they were like this. This is probably the best way to kind of do it. Probably, but yeah, it just but, it just jumped out at me. Well, not even jumped out at me. It's one of those things that like I often think there are some directors who make who get lots of accolades because of big fancy moves. And this is one of those like little fancy moves where this is a total artistic choice. There's, there's not an art, there's not a logical way to say, Oh, you know, if you gave the script as it is to a hundred directors, I doubt too many of them would say, Oh, well, this last shot, we're going to make them uh, upright. You know, everybody yeah. else, if you follow the script, it says they're on top of each other. So, okay, that's what we do. And it's just an interesting choice, but not that flashy that I just really appreciated. I'm like, oh, that's excellent. This guy knows what he's doing. This Johnson guy. Yeah, <laughs> I think it it also contrasts with the fact that then once he's out of frame, then we do see that Marta is on the floor. Yes, but she's not. But we're not by her side on the floor as you you know some directors might do. But we've then gone to the overhead shot right. and it's kind of pulling back to reveal you know where she is. And, you know, her kind of recovering, I'm guessing from the fact that, you know, Fran is dead and also somebody just tried to kill her. Like, there's well, a lot's happened in she, the last couple of minutes. And she didn't so. necessarily, she didn't necessarily know that that was a fake knife. Yeah. You know, so for all she knew, she was, she was gonna die. And, and I'm sure, you know, in the previous 120 minutes, people have talked about how good uh, Ana de Armas is, but... She really sells that moment too. Like I remember thinking I was fooled by the knife. And so I remember thinking she was dead. And even in watching just this minute, she her face is great at projecting shock and hurt that you could also read as like, oh my god, the you know, the dying gasp of someone who just got stabbed in the chest versus oh my God, that guy tried to stab me, but I'm actually alive, but the killer is still on me covered in barf. You know, like it's, she, she, she does, (laughs) she does a lot of work in, I mean, throughout the whole movie, but I mean, this one, it's a lot of her face, uh, carrying a lot of it. And it's, it's excellent. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, while she's, while she's lying there, we then get to fade to black and, you know, uh, I, I mean, I don't know that it's much later, 
Um, interestingly enough, in the script where it says small study, it doesn't give a time. Um, mm. So it doesn't say whether or not it's the same day or where. But we're guessing it's probably within the same kind of within the same kind of moment. You know, Linda has been seen with the baseball in a few minutes earlier. Um, so so obviously, you know, yeah, it can't be that long, right? I mean, everyone's in the same yeah. everyone's in the same clothes, and I would ima- I can't imagine that family sitting tight for too long you know <laughs> like yeah. yeah but we don't know if she's putting this baseball back while ransom is stabbing Marta. Oh, you might sure. be happy at the same time you know so i, I but I, I don't think there's much of a, a time difference because um as we'll talk about in the next minute you know linda after this will go outside and she'll basically be there while ransom is being arrested <laughs> so obviously you know it's within the same time but i'm just saying obviously we don't know if like a minute's passed or right. an hour or whatever like it seems to be happening roughly around the same time uh, and uh, and this is something again the two things that have been set up in this particular you know these kind of like 20 seconds of this minute are the baseball, which, you know, has been thrown through a window and then retrieved by a mm-hmm. dog. And then, you know, if you follow it through the film, it kind of gets it gets about a bit uh, before, yeah. you know, the last time the family were kind of all together. I, I think Linda kind of had it in her hand and she was kind of playing with it. Um, and when she puts it back, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, you know, obviously a wonderful actress. And in this film, uh, she's not in as much of the film as you would think. Um, you know, because you know, given given the kind of prominence of some of these actors, you right. would think that they'd be in the film a lot more. But she, you know, she's not in a, a huge amount of it really. Um, and in these final moments, I mean, we're going to talk about what happens in kind of like you know the next the next minute. Uh, but certainly in these kind of seconds, you you see when she picks up the envelope. You know, we've had the whole discussion about you know, which was I think taking place during the interrogation scenes where she would say that obviously Harlan would like leave her like notes with like invisible ink on. And, you know, they had like a, a kind of a, a, a kind yep. of a relationship, you know, that was kind of intimate and, you know, they would kind of uh, leave each other messages and they had like a, their own kind of like insider uh, kind of language, which I'm sure anybody who's been in a family is familiar with, yeah. you know, uh, if siblings have a different relationships with the parents, sometimes, you know, they're obviously a lot closer. And I think throughout the film, we've, we've, it's kind of been said, I, not kind of explicitly, but it's it's obviously felt that Linda was the closest to Harlan. I'm glad you um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah, because I I was thinking about it too. Of like, she is sort of an interesting character where she stands out from the rest of her family as like the least terrible person. It, you yeah. know, like the the others. There's like there's more blatant like ugh, you know, just awful. But um. <laughs> But she, it seems like she actually did love her father, you know, or at yeah. least the most, more than anybody else. Um, she's kind of a jerk about the others, but she also, it seems like she loved her father and she's also in this, you know, this not so great relationship with her husband and, you know, it just, and, and now her son is, is what he is. Um, so I, yeah, I wondered what, what you thought about that. Do you think she, I, I feel like she actually loved her father, but where would you put Linda on the scare scale of terrible people in this movie? I, I mean, I, th- I think if I'm, if I'm, you know, if we, I mean, obviously we're going to see pretty much all of the family in the next few minutes, but I would say, I would say that like Walt is the one who was trying to exploit his father the most obviously you know managing his books whatever that means you know yeah. managing 
I mean, it felt like Harlem basically it just gave him like a you know a make work job, like something to keep him busy, yeah, so he wouldn't get in the way. And his wife seems like the worst person in the entire film. <laughs> Is that um, um? Oh shoot, I forget her name. Ricky, Ricky Lynn, played by Ricky Lynn. Yeah. Who, who obviously in real life is, is such a delightful person. And, and you know, you, I've heard her on, you know, podcasts for the last kind of like decade or whatever. And, you know, the stuff she does with Garfunkel and Oates is like really yeah. funny. And, you know, she just seems like a really nice person. And she's playing exactly against type where she seems to be playing the absolute like worst, like out of everybody in the family. You know, she just seems, aside from probably her son, who is just, I think maybe her son, Jacob, is the worst. <laughs> and then I think Donna is the second worst. We should have done a and, ranking. We should have done a ranking. Well, there. we should have gone through and I be mean, like, okay, uh, Ransom's now the top because he tried. Un- unofficially, unofficially. Uh, well, I wouldn't. Even, here's the thing: I wouldn't think that Ransom is the top. Oh, okay. Because uh, because I would say that both. I say that both Donna and Jacob are worse than Ransom because they just on the have, whole uh, like abhorrent political views. That, okay, great. You know, are just terrible. Then I'd say probably Ransom. Yeah, after after them, Ransom. I'm gonna put. Um, I'm gonna put. Uh, I, I I will mostly agree with you. <laughs> I will put Richard way up there too. For the well, Richard would, for would the be fact the next that person, he is yeah for the fact that he is that type that is like I think he thinks he's being nice, but he's like obviously not. <laughs> you know, like that. Just it's even worse that he doesn't know. I feel like the others. It's the, I'm going to, this podcast is going nuts, um, but I'm going to mangle, <laughs> I'm going to mangle uh, or paraphrase this thing that Malcolm X said about uh, American politics, where he trusts, he trusts the racists in the South more than the liberal whites of the North, because the liberal whites of the North are foxes who don't show their fangs. And I feel like he's almost that where it's like he could kind of pass, you know, like he's quoting Hamilton and, you know, sounds like he's going to be okay for a minute until you really listen. And you're like, oh, and this guy doesn't know how destructive he is. So, like, I I, there's a special special place for uh, Richard on my on my list of terrible, terrible people. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say Richard next and then probably Walt. Um, Okay, and then I'd say I would say. You know, then I—I I mean, I think the problem I have with Joni is she. she the—I mean, the fact that she's ripping her father off, you know, that or uh, father-in-law, should I say? Yeah. Um, I—I'm I, not really that bothered about that. Like, no. You know, Harlan seems like he's rich enough. You know, if he's forced her into this position where she feels like she's got to embezzle, then that says a little bit about Harlan more than it does Joni. Yeah, like, Harlan you know. needs his place on there too, in a way. Yeah. You know, like there's a confidence, yeah. a way too confident. Yeah, and it's... You know, so he, he, you know, basically I think, you know, Joni has been forced into the, this position where she's, you know, she, I mean, either Harlan needed to cut her off a, a long time ago, mm-hmm. or if he's going to indulge her, he needs to just give her more money. He needs to give her enough <laughs> money to so she, cover the education, and so she's got like something to live off, like that, you know. Right. Um. So I'd say she's probably, you know, I'm not concerned about her taking Harlan's money. I don't care about no. that, quite frankly. Um. But you know, still, the fact that she's kind of like she, she when she's confronted about it, she just lies to Harlan. Yes. And you're like. You know, if she, I, I'm guessing if she'd have got come clean, maybe Harlan would have been like, "Well, you know, I respect you at least coming clean." To right, me. right. Me but too. instead, she tries to lie away, and you know, 
Um, and then I would say probably after that, you know, I mean, maybe ha- Harlan seems slightly less terrible than Linda. <laughs> but at the same time, Linda raised ransom. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you got to answer for some of it, Linda. You yeah. Did, you did like, something here. I, I feel like maybe the the thing that Linda has done is she obviously has kept Harlan close, mm-hmm. and I'm I you know I believe that there is a genuine love between them you know obviously as 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 you know father and daughter, but at the same time it feels like she's used that to manipulate Harlan a little bit, yeah, so that he he you know has reached this point where he feel, feels like he's got to cut everybody off basically, yeah. you know, um, and then at the same so I'd say that Linda is probably just slightly less terrible than Harlan, who himself. You know, as as Blank had pointed out, if he just listened to Marta, yep, he would still be alive. You know, like, yep. But he was so arrogant that he and you know, and I had those minutes basically where he was kind of coming up with a plan and everything. It's like just stop for five minutes and stop, listen to Marta. And stop be alive. taking charge and listen. Yeah, yeah. So and then you know, I'd obviously say probably the least worst of them is Meg, but at the same time, she's not she great. Feels like. Well, yeah, the fact that she so easily was kind of talked into trying yeah. to manipulate Marta, it's like, if yeah. it, you know, and she, she's one of those people who kind of says that Marta's her friend, and obviously, you know, she hugs her a lot during this, and she's kind of consoles her a lot, but at the same time, the second money came, became into it, it, it she, it, it, yes. you know, they're different classes, and immediately the kind of, the class war came into into play, and she just abandoned her so-called friend, yep. um, you know, so I would say Meg's probably the least... Worst I can get behind these. Uh, I, have yeah. an, I have another uh, question for you while, for we're, while we're quizzing yeah. you. Um, <laughs> this is a strange one, but why does Ransom try to kill Marta in that moment? I mean, he says in for a penny, doesn't he? I know, but why? why do, I, mean, I mean, like, I know he does, and I feel like this is not necessarily a criticism of the movie, but I feel like it's a little bit of movie logic you know, to if say is, he's doing, fun. he's saying that he's he's obviously the killer, so he's going to jump in. But when you think about it, he's going to gain nothing, especially attacking well, like the the least, like if, logically. And this is where it all falls apart because you shouldn't use logic too long for a movie. But logically, he should attack the cops, you know, like the people who are the biggest threats. <laughs> Marta is the tiniest person in the room. And he's gonna, I don't know, I know why he did it as a, you know, a passionate thing, but it's just like, I'm just pushing back for a minute to be like, well, I guess he's that I bad. Would, I would, well, here's, here's my thought, Philip. Yeah. And I will say this, like, first of all, uh, it is a failing of the American uh, justice system in that, um, you know, if you kill one person, you may as well keep killing people because <laughs> they can... You know they can they can only they can sure. only send you to the to the chair once, can't they? Like they can only they can only put you. I mean, if they put you in prison for twenty years, forty years, what difference does it make at that point? You know, you're gonna you're never getting out of prison, so you may as well. Fair but enough. also, I think in his head, the logic is, if Martyr is dead, then the will can't be executed. It will go into probate, and then the family okay. will get the money back. So from his point of view, it's maybe. I don't lose anything by killing a second person because I've already confessed to murder. So I may as well just murder another person. But if he, if he, you know, if he attacks the police, they'll probably kill him. But if he attacks Marta, she's dead. Then the, the, the money goes back to the family. So at least the family will have the money for his lawyer who might be able to stop him from going to prison at all. Fair enough. Thank you. I don't think that's the logic he had in his head. I think he was just <laughs> no, no, he was just I, mad because she just threw up on him. Yes, I think that's why he does it too. But I, in just in just watching this minute, I was like, 
Wait, why does he, like, it's, I feel like, <laughs> and again, not as a criticism, but I feel like it happens more because we have to, it's the Chekhov's knife thing, uh, Chekhov's knife yeah. chair, where, like, it's a murder mystery, it has to end with, like, something like this, but really, outcome-wise, it comes out the same if he had just stood there and they just arrested him. I'm glad we get it because we get this awesome moment that we've just been talking about for two minutes. But yeah, but it just stepping back for a second, I'm like, I, you know, if the cops, if the cops had done their job where literally they just, he just confessed of like swarm in there, guys, what else do you want? <laughs> well, I mean, from the political point of view, you'd have to say, you know, uh, the death penalty is no, is no deterrent. Yeah. Like, he's, he's already been convicted of, you know, he's going to be convicted of murder. What difference right. does it make if he adds a second person to that list? Like, I, that's fair. You know. Nope, you convinced me. But, and I also, you know, I think it's just the anger, isn't it? Like, he just lashes out. And that's that's the same yeah. reason why he can't tell the difference between a, a prop knife and a real knife. And, you know? and maybe even the same reason he tried to do this anyway. You know, like, he, he got Harlan told him what he told him. Then he's like, okay, well, I'm doing this. You know, like, yeah. he's so angry. He's... Yeah, I get it. So that's that's why the whole thing has been okay, motivated I, yeah. by. That's why anger. he's at the top. That's why he's yeah, near the top of our terrible people ranking. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, apart from, as described in the film, the Nazi boy. I think he's. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's going to grow up to be worse. That's the thing. Uh, Ugh, yeah. You know, there's no way Walt is going to be able to keep him in check as he as he gradually. I, I, yeah, I, I did not mean I did not mean that he is the <laughs> crown, but I'm saying he's at least if this if this movie is that uh, 1990s Olympic dream team. You know, he's not Michael Jordan, but he's maybe like Larry Bird. You know, he's like number three <laughs> on, at, on the, in a great ranking of terrible people. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I Yeah, the Nazi boy is clearly the, the Michael Jordan of worst people in he, this film. He's so much, so much potential ahead of him to be yeah. terrible too. And then that, Ricky, that's, Ricky yeah. Lindholm obviously is the Scotty Pippen, I think. <laughs> he's the Scotty Pippen. Yeah. Of worst people. Um, of words. I feel like we've covered as much as we can about this particular minute. Yeah, so we've gotten into the NBA and we've yeah, we, talked about. I feel we're angles. getting slightly off track, so let's let's bring it back <laughs> with the question of the day, which is, um, and I feel extremely appropriate for you. What are your your thoughts in general on murder mystery films, or, or you can expand um, that to just the whole genre? I was going to say, take it or leave it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I enjoy them. Although, um, so speaking films, I think. This one in particular stood out because of how well it's done. I think yeah. there, there's, it's kind of been like out of, uh, what do I want to say? Like out of season, no, like out of fashion um, for a while to do one like this. And I mean, like one of the only ones I could think of prior is something like Clue, which is, you know, a parody of murder mystery films. Yeah. Um, uh, which is funny to me because I think they're really fun and I think that people think they're really fun. Um, I am myself an author and an author of murder mysteries. Uh, so yeah, I, I do uh, tend to like them. Uh, but I think the, I think the reason that people enjoy them is because of something you and I have sort of been skirting around. I think the whole podcast is about this whole show is it's fun to watch something that where things are set up and pay off. You know, it is a puzzle and yeah. it's fun to try to guess and interact with it rather than just take it as it is. It's different than just a, a thriller where 
you know, scary things happen and tense moments happen. You know, those are great too. But these types of things are different where the the point is to pay attention and to get all the pieces to do that. So I'm I I'm I'm glad they're making a sequel to this. I I hope I I remember so I'm I'm expanding on my answer here. I remember when this came out, a bunch of my friends and I kind of said the same thing, which is like, why can't, it's so old man of us, but why can't Hollywood make more movies like this? And that's a little, <laughs> yeah. that's a little reductive because obviously a lot of care and time is going into this and it's not that easy just to make a good movie, let alone a good murder mystery. But on the other hand, it does kind of seem like something that you could do because there's a little bit of formula to it. And it seems like it takes dedication to writing a story. And you're going to have to have a beginning, middle, and end with payoffs. Payoff city. Yeah. And, and and doing that. And and I, I don't know why we don't get more of those things. Um, I, it seems like they're out there, but we just don't get it. Well, I mean, I did, I did enjoy the Murder on the Orient Express, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, film. <laughs> Brana. And, uh, and I liked it. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to um, Death on the Nile. The BBC did a few Agatha Christie adaptations over the past couple it's, of Christmases. Um, yeah, it's almost like it's almost like TV is where those have lived, right? Yeah. With like police procedurals and and like you say, the BBC doing and even like the the new Sherlock series yeah. with uh, Cumberbatch and like that's kind of where that's lived. It's interesting that. They ha- and it's especially weird with Sherlock because those episodes are basically movies. They're like 90 minutes long. Yeah. Um, so it's funny that, I don't know, that like more things don't have it. And it might just be, you know, the weird economics of movies now where it's like, well, they don't make money and whatever. But I mean, but I think there, I, there, is yeah. a, there is a third Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes Jude Law film coming out soon. So I'm down for it. Yeah. I, I, so. actually, I actually enjoyed the first two. Yeah, yeah, uh, you and know, uh, like for what they are, it's like that's fun. I, d- I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of a BBC series called Jonathan Creek. Um, no. Well, it, well, you, you might enjoy it because, uh, okay. uh, as with the BBC, it is one of those things where there's very short seasons and the episodes are very long. Um, uh-huh. But the the premise is that the the title character, as played by Alan Davis, who was a stand up comedian for so long, it's kind of weird to see him doing this kind of dramatic role. Um, he is effectively a magician's. Um, I don't know how you he 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 makes the tricks basically for magicians to perform, um, and so he like works behind the scenes on like the mechanics of how a certain trick works, and from that he kind of gets drawn with a there's a journalist who kind of contacts him over a particular kind of like um, story she's following, and he ends up kind of getting drawn into this world of like um, mysteries. Not all of them are, mm. are murders, you know. Some of them are kind of different things. Um, yeah, but yeah. It's, but there's always kind of like you know some kind of oddity, um, mm-hmm. and it's always something weird that kind of just doesn't make sense in terms of like the case. And then obviously because he thinks about stuff in terms of like setting up kind of magic tricks to kind of like fool people, he has like kind of a different approach. Um, not not really like Sherlock, but kind of sort of in that vein. Um, yeah. And you know the the kind of the more recent series, which you know to, they're very infrequent now. Um, you normally they're just like one or two episodes, and they're usually like ninety minutes, two hours long. 
Um, and that's a British 90 minutes. That's not an American 90 minutes. With <laughs> okay. Um, so, and they're, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're kind of interested in just how like the, the kind of the, the mystery is set up. The later seasons became a little bit disappointing. Uh, but the first, the first like three or four seasons of the okay. show are re- like the, the mysteries are really kind of clever. And when, when they're revealed, it's always, it, it, you know, he'll always say something like it's very simple. And when he reveals it, it's <laughs> like, Oh, you know, like it's literally the like, and not only that, but like his kind of sidekick, who's normally played by like you know, who's a journalist. They spend the entire episode kind of trying to guess how it's done, and of course they're always wrong. But what they're guessing is what the audience would say, and so sure. it's always kind of interesting that they dismiss all these other things, and then eventually it's like, oh, it's just like this this one thing. This is how it happened, um, and those are, those are always really fun. So uh, you know, mm. uh, I don't know that they ever crossed over to America, but. Um- I, I will check that out. Yeah. Um, so in, in the interest of sharing things like that, one movie that I thought of just now um, that I have recommended and either friends have enjoyed or feel like I have inflicted it upon them. Um, but I really enjoy. Uh, it's quite different from Knives Out, but it's called Under the Silver Lake. Oh, yes. Um, I know that. I know the director because. Yes. His first. Um, I loved his first two films, which were Myth, yeah. Myth American Sleepover and um, It Follows. It Follows? Yeah. Yes. Um, it is its own thing. Um, I am the type who really enjoys that uh, because it's kind of a mystery by way of, like, first and foremost, things just have to be mysterious. So sometimes things happen. It, it This is where different from Knives Out, where some things happen that almost just kind of randomly happen. It's sort of, it's got a David Lynch vibe in that way. Yeah. But I really like it because the, it's, it, it's got its own thing going. I, I, I can't even explain it right now, but that's one of the murder mysteries that I got into. Actually, I don't even know if it's a murder mystery, but that's one of the mysteries uh, that I really got into just like digging into like the tone of it and what is the true story. And you're just, it's more noirish than, uh, than knives out. Um, it's less straightforward than knives out too, but Ricky Lindholm is in that also. So if you like her in strange roles, boy, we got one for you in that one. <laughs> And I think also England's own Andrew Garfield is the is in the title role. Yes, he's the main guy. Yeah, but but uh, to to the point of Knives Out, uh, where Knives Out is obviously casting uh, some people against type, some people with type, and that type of thing. Under the Silver Lake does this thing with Andrew Garfield, also where. So I we could do our own podcast. And seriously, guys, if you want to do one about <laughs> Under the Silver Lake, I'm totally there for it. Uh, but. Under the Silver Lake is kind of about it's got an overall mystery of where this missing girl went, this mis- missing young woman. Yeah. But in it are a bunch of secret messages. And basically the point of the movie is there are secret messages and you're kind of wasting your time trying to find these secret messages. <laughs> and one of the things that they do is, you know, there's a couple of times where like Andrew Garfield picks up a Spider-Man comic book. And of course he does, yeah. because that's what we're all thinking. But yeah. the point is, yes, we're all thinking that and we're completely wasting our time worrying about that. <laughs> and so some some people find that really irritating <laughs> and I totally get it. Every reaction I've ever heard to Under the Silver Lake is legitimate because it is frustrating. Yeah. It's also like I watched it and could not stop thinking about it and just kept puzzling it out, puzzling it out. But 
yeah, it's it. Uh, that's that would be my uh, my recommendation. If and then you can hit me up at uh, Philip Mata's on Twitter <laughs> to tell me why I'm crazy for recommending it. Well, as we're already in the plugs, then I will say, obviously, if you want to get in touch with us, don't complain about watching Under Silver Lake to Knives Out Minute <laughs> on Twitter. No, uh, no, leave them out of this. And obviously, uh, you know, rate and review. Is there anything else that you wish to plug before we go, Philip? Uh, yeah, um, like I said, I, I have a book coming out in September 2021. So depending on when you hear this, you could either pre-order or go order. Uh, it is called... The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel-Air. Uh, it is a mystery novel about a, uh, a hairstylist uh, who has psychic abilities. She uh, touches people's hair or touches people's head and she can see in their mind to see they have the perfect style that they want. She can do it. But then uh, things go wonky when one day she touches the head of a stranger and she sees a murdered body and she's forced to solve the crime. There we go. Uh, so thanks for being my guest today. Uh, hopefully you. you will be able to return tomorrow, Philip. As we, can. I totally can. If we're more <laughs> under the Silver Lake talk, right? Yeah. We're going to keep going into that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so otherwise, thanks for being my guest, and we will see you all tomorrow.